Coming up on episode 10 of Put It on the Board, the White Sox are finally starting to show some signs of life. They win back-to-back series, one at home against the division-leading Minnesota Twins, and one on the road taking two out of three from the Cincinnati Reds. We have some injury news, both with players returning from injury and Eloy Jimenez finding himself back on the injured list. So uh, this roller coaster of a season keeps on spiraling, uh, but for the moment being, the White Sox are playing some better baseball. We recap the week that we just saw, what might be ahead for the Sox, and what they need to do to start and gaining some of our interest and some of our attention back in the 2023 season. So we go over the uh, state of the White Sox after their first two series wins of the year, and today a big 17-run performance on Sunday where uh, we and the team put some crooked numbers up on that board. Let's do it. You can put it on the board, yeah! Yeah! This is episode 10 of the Put It On The Board podcast. Sam Phelan and Noah Phelan doing a White Sox talk podcast here, recapping the last week of White Sox baseball. And Noah, it it does feel good to be able to hop on a podcast. And, you know, we're taking everything with a grain of salt here. But the White Sox actually have played some winning baseball over the past week. They're five and two in their last seven. And uh, since we last recorded, they're four and two with a series win against the Minnesota Twins and then a series win against the Cincinnati Reds this weekend. How'd you feel about the White Sox this last week and, you know, where things are at rolling into Kansas City? They're headed in the right direction. Uh, I'm, you know, it's far too early to uh, throw the B word around, the the back word around anywhere. Yeah. But um I mean, it was a good week. It was the best week they've had of the season so far. Uh, Obviously, first two series wins, including uh, against Minnesota, and you always like winning a series uh, in your division, especially against the first-place team in your division. But, um, you know, we saw some promising signs. We saw some guys starting to turn things around. Uh, Luis Robert is in a massive slump, and he had himself a nice little week this week. So... Um, hopefully they can just keep these positive vibes going. Um, they dug themselves a hole, but you know, they, they've started chipping away. Hopefully they can keep chipping away and, you know, maybe in a couple of months we'll be talking about the Sox being back in things, but for now I am, uh, you know, just keep it going. I'm, I'm happy with the past week and let's just get another one this week. You know, Luis Robert is just such He's just such an interesting guy, man. Like since May 2nd, so into May, these last six games, he was 10 for 19 this week with three doubles, two home runs, seven RBIs. He had a 1,000 slugging percentage and a 654 on base percentage. Like he has just been amazing for them in like the past week. And so that, what did I say? 10 hits in the past six games. He had 20 hits in all of April. So, like, we saw this guy go in a slump for essentially three weeks from April 14th to April 30th, where he really had two, that's two and a half weeks. He had, like, five hits. And now he just, like, that. but this is the Luis Robert roller coaster, I suppose, that White Sox fans have grown accustomed to now. Um, So you get the two wins against Minnesota, a very, very, very frustrating Thursday game. 
against Minnesota that the White Sox had won and Hanser Alberto had one and he swings at a pitch that hits him. You blow a bunch of opportunities with Billy Hamilton on base and an opportunity to win the game in extra innings. And then, you know, big situations happen to find Billy Hamilton later in the game with a chance to win the game and he's at the plate. So like just a really frustrating game. And while it is encouraging that you've won four of six this week and won both series, it's like, man, that's one that I wish we could have had. But I I don't know. Overall, like, what do you think is the reason for the White Sox playing better baseball? Because this team looked dead in the water like there was no hope for them. And not to say that they are back or anything, but they've certainly shown more signs of life. So what is the cause of that, in your opinion? Well, I think there's something to be said to getting momentum back in your favor. Um, you know, the White Sox, they went on this long 10-game losing streak where it was just uncompetitive game after uncompetitive game. And the offense, you know, when you're in a big losing streak like that, the offense, it's natural to try and do too much, to try and hit a home run every try, every at-bat, to try and single-handedly get the team back into it. But they got the big win last Sunday against the Rays, the big comeback in the ninth inning. And I think it allowed the team just to kind of relax and just, you know, realize like, hey, you know, we are capable of winning games. So let's just relax and let's just play baseball the, the way we know how to play baseball. And you've been able to notice it this week, you know, some of the at-bats have been better. Guys are guys are waiting for their pitch more. Um, and the other thing is they've started hitting home runs, which is something that we've been kind of calling for now for a year and a half. But I believe this is seven straight games now that the White Sox have hit a home run, and they're 5-2 and two in those games. So there's something to be said to ball go far, team go far. I will say, too, another thing that I've kind of observed over the last week, they, they haven't been – dominant by any means but I do want to give the starting pitching a little bit of credit because while these guys have not been amazing by I mean Lucas Giolito has really been dialed in I'd say over his last two or three starts uh but the starting pitching has been getting deeper into ball games which I think it has helped them at least over the last week having guys go six or seven innings uh and you know take some of that weight off of your bullpen. Now we saw the bullpen struggle in that game against uh, Minnesota, or at least Reynaldo Lopez struggle when he blew that lead. Uh, but you, I, I don't like Lance Lynn, Mike Clevenger, even Michael Kopech, like they give up home runs. They're prone to giving up home runs, which is the reason they haven't been dominant, but they've at least gotten fairly deep into starts uh, and given their team a chance to win. So for a White Sox team that, as you mentioned, has hit home runs of their own uh, and you've had some of these bats waking up just a little bit and some of these big hits starting to fall, having starting pitching that keeps you in a ball game and gets you competitive goes a long way. I I think there's momentum within you said there's momentum within the season, right? Having that win go your way, the way that you won on that Andrew Vaughn walk-off home run against Tampa Bay and how that started to turn things around for this clubhouse and make them play loose. I think there's a little bit of momentum within a ball game too. And I, this team has shown what when they go down early, they don't usually respond well to, you know, three runs give, being given up in the second inning or or like, you know, an early three, four nothing deficit. But 
the way their starting pitching has performed, they've been able to kind of stay in games late into the fifth, sixth, seventh. And, and from that point, um, that you're playing really highly competitive ball. That's why you get the walk-off against Tampa. It's why you get the walk-off against Minnesota. You play that one extra innings game against Minnesota, and then you you stole a game essentially on Friday with that Luis Robert home run that put you ahead of Cincinnati late and, you know, ended up turning into a win. So the more they're able to hang around, the more you let the quote-unquote talent that everybody likes to talk about take over, right? You eventually somebody's going to do something that wins you a game. Yeah. And there's going to be days throughout the season where you, you know, you just run into a starting pitcher who's dominant. I mean, it happens. Um, Starting pitchers dominate all the time. There's, there's a reason that guys win the Cy Young every year and not many teams hit those guys, but you know, the, the Sox have done a good job recently battling against the opposing team starters. Um, I mean, you look at, you look at Friday's game against Cincinnati, the Sox were shut down through four. Hunter Green was cruising, and the Sox didn't look like they had a chance in that game through four. But then, you know, the fifth inning comes along. You're able to get a couple of guys on base, and Elvis Andrus kind of turns on a fastball in that wasn't even really a bad pitch from Hunter Green, and he's able to find that short porch in left field. Now all of a sudden you've got the lead, and it's like, holy crap, we can hit this guy, you know? And that's that's kind of that momentum you were talking about. You get the one hit like that that kind of shows you like, oh, you know what? Maybe this guy is hittable. And then, you know, the Reds take the lead back, but Hunter Green comes out in the fifth. And first, Andrew Vaughn gets robbed of a home run. And then Grandal hits an absolute rocket for a base hit. And then Luis Robert hits the home run. You just get nonstop hard contact against him the next inning. And it's like a switch flipped. And all of a sudden, there was this confidence that took over after Elvis Andrus hit that home run, it's like, we can do this. Well, I will say too, like, I don't know what it's like in, in their dugout or locker room, whatever, but it, having contributions from like the bottom of the lineup is like a huge relief too. Like, I mean, this red series in particular, it's like, all right, Elvis Andrus did something. Hanser Alberto did something. We got a home run from Sebi Zavala that was, you know, important at the time. It, like, it is nice to be like, oh, okay, it's not all on Luis Robert and Andrew Vaughn to be, you know, incredible players to like score some runs. You know, it's refreshing when you can say, oh, hey, look, these guys can score runs too. I, the lineup though, like I know they scored 17 runs today, but I was looking at the lineup today, man, and it's just, it's tough. The injuries have you in a pretty tough spot. And so I mean, we do have to talk about kind of the roster moves that have been made this week because earlier in the week, this is before the series with Minnesota, the White Sox did what I think people were anticipating in terms of like a major roster shakeup in like kind of just switching some guys out and making necessary moves. So Tim Anderson back from the injured list. So it's been nice having TA at the top of that lineup. Um, he hasn't even been swinging the bat as well as we know he's capable of, but, you know, just having him back in the lineup is very nice. Uh, and Hanser Alberto back from the injured list as well. And he actually had himself, a, you know, a pretty nice week. It was up and down, but, you know, Hanser Alberto is back. Uh, Alex Colome, Billy Hamilton, and Sammy Peralta, left-handed pitcher, uh, all had their contracts purchased from Charlotte. 
So they were all brought up. Colome, who they kind of like signed very low key. It was just kind of on his MLB transactions page. He went to Charlotte for a bit. Billy Hamilton uh, comes up. He added a bit of a spark pretty much right away. And we've seen why they like him for those tight games late in the ball game, how he can steal you a run. Joe Kelly was placed on the paternity list. Romy Gonzalez went to the injured list. Oscar Colas and Lenin Sosa both optioned to AAA. And Franklin German and Jake Diekman were designated for assignment. Then, you know, just a few days later, Joe Kelly returned from the paternity list. Sammy Peralta was sent down. Uh, and Jake Diekman was officially released. So that's what we thought was going to be the moves. Adam Hazley stayed on the big league club. Uh, and then another shakeup today uh, when, you know, we kind of get the news that uh, Eloy Jimenez is in the hospital with abdomen pain. And my hypothesis was correct that it was appendicitis. He had an appendectomy, which I have had before. And I told you as soon as uh, I said, if this is appendicitis, this is minimum a two-week injury because it is a while that you are, you know, before you are pain-free in your stomach and able to swing a bat after having your appendix removed. So the White Sox listed him as four to six weeks, just a terrible blow for like a an injury that you can't do anything about. It's just a health concern that happens randomly. And Eloy Jimenez is out for over a month now dealing with that. Uh, Carlos Perez is the call-up. So uh, Noah, overall, your thoughts on the shakeup with Oscar Colas being a highlight of, you know, him going to Charlotte and then what you make of Carlos Perez being the replacement for Eloy Jimenez. The shakeup had to happen. Um, see, it puts you in a bind, though, and this and this is part of what we've talked about already with the way this roster is constructed, because <clears throat> Rick Hahn had the option to get some depth behind Oscar Colas in the outfield coming into the season. And he chose not to the white Sox decided they were going to hand the right field keys over to Oscar Colas at the beginning of the year without much of a backup plan. And as we kind of predicted, there have been some growing pains for Oscar Colas this season. He wasn't performing super well and the white Sox were in a position where, you know, obviously big losing streak, they kind of needed to start winning games. And as much as you'd like to see Oscar Colas try and figure things out at the major league level, they needed to start winning some games and they had to make that change. Um, But now you're left in a situation where your right fielder is Gavin Sheets, which is exactly the problem that we had last year. And it's the reason that you signed Andrew Benintendi. The primary reason at least was so you weren't playing first baseman in the outfield anymore, but here we are. Gavin Sheets is the right fielder for now, the foreseeable the future. Arm too. I mean, there really is no other option except for Adam Hazley. Like, <laughs> yeah. who, you know, I'm fine playing there every once in a while, but like he's not an everyday right fielder. So I'm like, it's, it's interesting, man. It, it is going to be Gavin Sheets's job. And we know that he's capable of being more than serviceable at the dish, but like is the the right field defense has always been a concern. And so you're just, it's like a ticking time bomb waiting for that to blow up and cost you a game or get sheets hurt. And so it's, yeah, I, I mean, it's tough. I, we talked about this. You and I talked about this or texted about it. At least would you have liked to see Clint Frazier 
as an option, like for White Sox fans that don't know, or if you're a casual baseball fan, um, Clint Frazier is an interesting name because he was one of the top prospects in baseball. He was the fifth overall pick in the 2013 draft. He came up and, you know, started his major league career with, you know, a good deal of success for the Yankees. He he was kind of one of those guys that had played really, really well, but had a very limited opportunity um, had an 806 OPS in 2019, played 40 out of 60 games in 2020 with a 905 OPS for the Yankees. And you were starting to feel like Clint Frazier was really one of these emerging stars in Major League Baseball. 2021, he had he had 186 in uh, 66 games with New York. That was the end of his Yankees career. He appeared in 19 games with the Cubs last season was pretty underwhelming there. Uh, the White Sox got him. Uh, they claimed him off waivers, I believe, uh, or he was released by Texas. Um, they signed him, assigned him to AAA, and Clint Frazier's been doing his thing for the Charlotte Knights so far. So, I mean, in his seven games with Charlotte, he has uh, hit 391 with three home runs and five RBIs. His OPS is over 1,300. It's 964 in 75 AAA at-bats with two different teams. So, like, this is a guy, like, he's not a superstar, but can he give you productive at-bats and productive defense in right field that's at least better than having a first baseman out there? Do you have thoughts on Clint Frazier? Uh, He's very bad defensively, by the way. He... He is but he's great. But he's an outfielder. Like I mean, he's bad defensively. Yes, is he better than I, Gavin Cheats? Yes, but the standard for that is not very high. Uh, I say Clint Frazier is an outfielder is very loosely. He's probably better suited as a DH. Um, but I mean, offensively, he's done it. He not for a long period of time, but he's shown flashes that he can be a productive major league hitter. Um, Yesterday, when we found out that Eloy Jimenez was going on the injured list, that is who I uh, said that I wanted called up. Because uh, in my mind, it was Clint Frazier or bringing back Oscar Colas already. Um, and I, I didn't feel like Colas had had enough time down there in Charlotte to really figure things out. Um, but the White Sox ended up doing neither of the two, bringing up Carlos Perez, which is intriguing to me. Um, Carlos Perez, a catcher. So the team currently has three catchers on the roster, um, was leading the Charlotte Knights with eight home runs this season. So he's been off to a pretty good start offensively down there. He was good offensively last year, um, had a little bit of time up here in Chicago. I don't I don't think he really got a ton of at bats while he was yeah, up was here. Like 15 but... at bats. It was a cup of coffee, but <clears throat> right. So it's interesting for me for a couple reasons. Um, I think that this seems to indicate that Yasmani Grandal is primarily going to be DHing uh, with Eloy Jimenez on the shelf, which I think is okay. Um, Pedro's referenced it a couple times. Grandal's kind of had some lingering back pain that kind of, he says, comes and goes. Um, so if we can try and keep Yaz healthy, keep his bat in the lineup as the designated hitter, I don't have a problem with that. Um, and also... Sebi Zavala hit a home run yesterday, but he's been slumping pretty badly uh, before that home run. I think he was like 0 for his last 19 or 20. He went 0 for um, 5 today as well. So I Yeah, mean. went 0 for 5 today. So 
you know, I kind of look at this as a, a competition almost for the backup catcher job. So if Carlos Perez comes up here and he's hitting the ball well, then when Jimenez comes back and it's time to get rid of a catcher, it might be the end for Sebi Zavala. Uh, it might it might be an area where you feel like you need better production, and this is an opportunity for a guy like Perez to to show that he belongs in the major leagues. So I, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I think that Carlos Perez is an intriguing kind of prospect, and I'm I'm curious to see what he can do if he's given a little bit more run here in the major leagues. But yeah, sure. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with Perez either. I would like to see Clint Frazier though, just because like if he can give you productive at bats, I think that needs to trump everything else at this point with, with the injuries that you were dealing with as the white Sox right now, we like, we didn't even really mention Jake Berger on the IL as well. And he was their best hitter. It has been their best hitter. So like with the issues that you've had offensively, if you can patch that up with a guy who can at least be average in your lineup. And I, Clint Frazier, like I said, he has had kind of a roller coaster of a career. He's 28 years old, 744 major league at bats. His career OPS is 756. So uh, like it, and like as he's swinging it really well in triple A right now, if you can bring him up and get something productive out of him as just like an every other day sort of right field option. That's something that's productive. And frankly, I have no use for a Lenin Sosa on this roster. Tim Anderson is back. You have Elvis Andrus, you have Hanser Alberto. Yuan Moncada is going to be back soon. Uh, like I, I'd hope. Yeah. Lenin I think, Sosa... uh, I think Yuan Moncada is going to be with the team on Monday in Kansas city. Um, and I also think that Lenin Sosa will be optioned when Moncada is yeah, activated. Like he he needs to go. Uh, like there, there's really nothing productive out of having Lenin Sosa on your team. I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily need three catchers on my like. I don't have a problem with the Perez thing, especially with Sebi struggling. But I don't need three catchers on my roster when I'm playing a first baseman and right field and kind of have a hole in my lineup pretty regularly still. So like. I don't know. I would like to see at least a sample size of Clint Frazier and see what he can bring to your team. And if it doesn't work, I mean, it's no harm done at this point. You're just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping something sticks. You need some answers. Um, and even well, with this, the way that they've played better, like it can't hurt to reshuffle the deck. Yeah, this may be temporary. Um, it may just be because grandal has been a little sore. Uh, they want to give him a few days at DH. That could be the reason for this. So, you know, we could potentially see if, you know, in a week, Grandal's back is feeling better. We could see them just send Perez back down. Uh, the other issue with Frazier is he's not on the 40-man roster right now. So if he does come up, there's going to have to be some kind of corresponding move that opens up a roster spot for him. And I'm not sure that there's a an obvious answer for that right now. Well, I mean... I have no interest in having Alex Calame on the 40 man roster. I can tell you that off. I mean, uh, that's an easy one that I could see letting go of. Nicholas Padilla is still on the 40 man roster. Sammy Peralta is still on the 40 man roster and he immediately got sent back down. Uh, I mean, Jesse Schultens is on the 40 man roster. So there's, there are options to kind of shuffle the deck. If, if you feel like it's necessary, um, 
the good news is these guys potentially returning from injury because Liam Hendricks, Garrett Crochet, Yuan Moncada have been on rehab stints in in the minor leagues. Uh, so good to see these guys kind of on, on the way back. You think Moncada's back Monday um, and maybe a little bit while longer for Crochet and Hendricks while they ramp up. But Yuan Moncada coming back, that make a significant difference in your eyes and what this team looks like moving forward? Yeah, I mean, Hanser Alberto's your starting third baseman right now with Berger and Moncada both out. And, you know, he had a good game today. He had a pretty good weekend, but I don't think that's sustainable for him. He's not, no, he's yeah. never been that player. So I'd much rather have you on Moncada as my third baseman every day. If for no other reason, Hanser Alberto is not a good defender and Yoan Moncada is. And we can talk about Yoan's offensive struggles, but. I just I think he's the better option. I think it's an upgrade for them, and it, it's going to be a good uh, good thing to have you on back in the lineup. Here's another question I'll, I, I'm actually interested in asking you. With Yoan Moncada back, right, and if it is what you presume it is, which is Lenin Sosa going back down to Charlotte, your only backup infielder then is Hanser Alberto. Do you need somebody else there? That like I don't like I said I have no interest in Lenin Sosa being that guy. He's proven that he can't like hit right. He's overmatched at the big league level right now, point blank. Do you hate the idea of trying to add another infielder? Because for example, Tim Anderson has to come out of a ball game, or Tim Anderson is getting an off day. Hanser Alberto is now starting at second base. Like it's a very weird situation. You've got yourself in on the infield now with Romy Gonzalez on the IL, Lenin Sosa not cutting it. And who is that next guy that, you know, potentially gets some opportunity on the infield? Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think that they need to do that. Um, I think Alberto's fine. Um, I mean, Alberto has played quite a bit of second base in his career and we've seen him playing third base this year. So obviously those two positions are covered. Um, and if there's something with Tim, you know, they'll just slide Andrus over there. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think they need another infielder. Um, and if they do at this point, it's probably going to be Lenin Sosa. Um, I don't think there are any other infielders really on the 40 man. So they don't, they don't really have a ton of options, but I think they can get by with having Alberto as their primary backup in the infield. Yeah, Sosa, Jose Rodriguez, and Brian Ramos are the other uh, guys that would be in the minor leagues that are on. And Brian Ramos has been hurt all year. Jose Rodriguez is is not ready to come up. Um, I mean, there are some guys, a guy like Zach Remillard, who's 29 and having the best year of his career down in Charlotte, you could make an argument as an opportunity guy that you'd be like, oh, give him a shot. But the 40-man roster implications of that make that hard to – like not really realistic or attainable uh, for them right now. They've got bigger issues and bigger fish to fry here, but hopefully uh, Yoan Moncada is the player that he was at least for that first week of the season before he went down uh, because you add him to a lineup that has Tim Anderson back and you can say, okay, we can come every day with, you know, Robert and Vaughn and Anderson and Benintendi and Moncada and Grandal. And now it looks like a major league lineup at the very least. Like it's no longer this, you know, patchwork 
getaway day lineup every day. You at least have a good chunk of your core playing games together. Um, so as things currently stand, Noah, the White Sox are 12 and 23. And here's my uh, big picture question for you before we kind of look at the week to come and wrap things up. But where do the White Sox have to get for you to start? I don't want to say buying in again, because the buy-in is, I, I don't know if anybody can buy into the big picture of the White Sox right now until there's significant organizational changes. But where do they have to get in terms of record for you to have to be, uh, to have your attention back in 2023. Cause like, I mean, I'm at the point I'm watching games again. I wasn't this weekend because, uh, if anybody knows I am in Nashville. And so the, uh, Cincinnati Reds and Atlanta Braves games are blacked out here in Nashville. So I was unable to watch games this weekend, but I, I'm at the point of being ready to watch games again. It's just difficult. Like I, I I've watched games with, low expectations and you know i'm not building my day around it anymore i'm saying okay well if it's on and i have nothing to do i'm happy to throw it on um but what like what is the marker that the white Sox have to get to to start to have you you know live and breathe white Sox baseball in 2023 and have your attention back i mean it really sucks that i am saying this but like I'm more than happy with with the way they've started off the season. If they can get the second or third wild card and sneak into the playoffs, I'm thrilled with that. And that's not something that I thought I would be saying in what was supposed to be year four of a championship window. Uh, I was expecting, you know, three straight division titles, all that stuff. But I'm not sure there's a you're I think you're you're jumping a little bit ahead though. Like a- anybody's down for the playoffs, right? And no, if I know I, make the playoffs, we're gonna we're gonna get up and go crazy and like we'll be bought in. But like and, and I don't even want to like look ahead to like July, but like what can happen throughout the rest of May and the beginning of June to like have this first half start to feel like okay, hope not all hope is lost and I actually care to like watch a game and go to the ballpark and, and you know, all of those things that we thought we'd be feeling this year. Yeah, I mean, the AL Central is not good. <laughs> I mean, the Guardians are under 500. The Tigers are, we're in second place for a day, I think this well, weekend. I mean, I can do um, a quick, yeah, I can do a quick rundown that the Tigers are, uh, are, Kansas City's in dead last. They're nine and twenty-six. The White Sox will see them uh tomorrow through Thursday in a four-game series. The White Sox are at twelve and twenty-three. They're seven games back. Detroit is five and eighteen. They are fifteen and eighteen, rather. They're three games back. Cleveland is sixteen and eighteen, just a half game ahead of Detroit. And then Minnesota, uh, who Cleveland has won the last two against Minnesota. Detroit was in second place. You were right, but Cleveland took the final two games for Minnesota. Minnesota's 19 and 16 at the top of the division. Uh, that is the worst division leader in baseball and no surprise there. They're five and five in their last 10 and have lost two straight. So as I said, the Sox are seven back and are in fourth place. Do, is there an answer to the question? Like, like, is there, is it a division marker of like, Oh, you get so many games back. I'll start caring. Is it their overall record of you have to get, to a certain spot like where are you with the team 
to win you back and be like, okay, things might be back. Let's, let's do this now. Yeah. The, all of my rambling, the point that I was trying to get at was there's no record for me. Get me within three games of first place and I care again. And whatever that record may be, if the White Sox are three games back or less of first place in the central, then I will officially be back on board with caring because Personally, if the White Sox win 82 games and win the division, I don't really care that they only won 82 games. <laughs> so yeah, at this I mean, point, it, I will it, take what I can get. That goes back to what we were talking about with Dave, which is like, well, that masks the problem and might be bad for everything long term. Um, but we're not going to complain or apologize for playoff appearances. So like it is about, that's exactly what I was saying. It's about being in the mix. Uh, And so, yeah, like even though I might know it's bad for the team or the long-term future of the organization, if the white Sox are in the American league wild card series and playing, I'm going to be very, very fired up, very, very into it and locked in for every pitch. And I'm sure white Sox fans will be everywhere. Like we embrace playoff baseballing and, you know, big baseball games on the South side of Chicago. So you're three games within first place for me. I mean, obviously, if you get right around, I think you either have to be have a share of first place or be two or three games over 500, like and not two or three games over 500 in August when you're already like eight back in the division. But if you can, you know, get to a spot and you're before the all star break and you're a few games over 500 or you're 500, but you're tied with the twins for the division lead. I will be all the way back. I will be, you know, not to say I will have faith in the team at all, but I will at least be, you know, living and dying with every White Sox game, which I I hope happens. Hope doesn't happen because I'm not sure I can afford to die with them another time. But uh, that's a it's just one series at a time for me right now. Like, Like I was frustrated with what happened in Minnesota, not getting that sweep. Um it stinks to lose any games to the Reds, especially a game that you had an early lead in. But it's like, okay, you won a series. Okay, you won a series. Now let's go and take care of business against the Kansas City Royals, who are worse than you are and one of the worst teams in all of baseball. So a split's not good enough. Like you have to take another series. At, at minimum, you have to win three of four. Um, and then you've got a test with the Astros this weekend. So like... It's just one series at a time, one game at a time, and keeping those expectations tempered. Yeah, and I I talked to a friend about this earlier this week, and I also tweeted about it earlier today. My attitude with this team moving forward is a week-by-week basis. Um, I did the math. If the White Sox go 4-2 and every week for the rest of the season, they will finish with 96 wins. So... In my opinion, well. <laughs> I mean, you can't you can't look too far in the future. You can't sit here and say like, "All right, we need 10 in a row here." I'm taking each week for what it is, and my standard for the White Sox is 4 and 2 or better every week. That's what I want. And this past week they went 4 and 2. It was a successful week. Now this next week they play 7 games coming up. I'd like to see them go 5 and 2. I could probably be okay with 4 and 3, but you know, 
series by series, week by week, like you said, you got to chip away at this hole that you created for yourself, and that and that's my attitude about it. You yeah, need three I'm, out of four from Kansas City coming up. You're eleven. You're eleven under, which feels insurmountable. Like it, and it and it might be in the long like that. That's a big, big hole to pull yourselves out of. And I don't know if it's possible unless you do have a five or six game win streak that kind of cuts that number in half. But it is about chipping away. It, it is about not pressure, like putting pressure on yourself that well we have to sweep Houston right here. Well, we have to like we have to sweep so and so right here. It's like. Do what you did this weekend. You can you lose a game on Saturday, come out, you know, and bounce back on Sunday afternoon and get that win with 17 runs. Um that is uh yeah, I maybe you end up, you know, in July and you get back to 500 and then it's August and you're eight over and then it's September and you're you know 14 over and you've just kind of built it week by week by week. I do think you need to go on a little bit of the run. If there is good news, it's the fact that the schedule uh, gets a little bit easier. Like this is not the dog days of Houston, Toronto, Houston, Tampa, Toronto, Tampa. Like you do get to play some of these divisional opponents that have not proven to be all that strong. I'll go over this real quick, Noah, but this is the rest of May for the White Sox. They have, as we mentioned, four with the Kansas City Royals, who are even worse than the Sox right now and in dead last of the Central. Monday through Thursday, they will host Houston Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then it is three at home with Cleveland, three at home with Kansas City, three on the road in Cleveland, and four on the road in Detroit. Uh, and that kind of wraps things down. You end May uh, with a series against the Angels at home. But, like, you have a big opportunity here with, like, 13 of your next 16 games coming against Cleveland, Detroit, and Kansas City. So how you respond to those games will really be a big indicator of whether or not you stand a chance at crawling your way back into this division. And uh, I want to – I want to – talk about the Astro series for a second. Yeah. That is a team that has not played great baseball this season. Obviously we know how talented they are. They won the world series last year, but they are pretty banged up. They Altuve hasn't played this year. Brantley hasn't played this year and they've had two starting pitchers get hurt in the last week, uh, including Le, uh, Luis Garcia, who is having Tommy John surgery and is done for the season. So if there were a time that you wanted to run into the Houston Astros, it would be early this season and the Sox have already played once and they'll play them again next weekend and then they'll be done with them for the year. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that the Sox can hold their own in that series, even though obviously the Astros are a tough team. I mean, well, yeah, well, like we said, series by series, but like, if there is something, if you're a White Sox fan to give you a glimmer of hope, it's that schedule. It's that AL central gauntlet coming up. And it is the fact that here's Minnesota. They lost two out of three from the White Sox. They lost two out of three from Cleveland. While the White Sox took two out of three from Minnesota, took two out of three from Cincinnati. And I read you the White Sox upcoming schedule. Minnesota's May is three with San Diego, three with the Cubs, three with the Dodgers, three with the Angels, three with San Francisco, three with Toronto, three with Houston. So they don't have any, uh, like, 
easy games, easy series, cupcake series in that like slate there. They're not playing Oakland. They're not playing Kansas City. They played those teams a lot in April. They don't have those series in May. So if there was ever a time to start just chipping away one series at a time, this is a decent opportunity for the White Sox, who are seven games back, to potentially gain two or three games on the Twins over the next uh you know, couple weeks throughout May. And, you know, does that solve the problem? No, maybe not. Like you're still probably going to be under 500 at the end of May, but you could get to a spot where you're three back, four back, and you're back into the mix where all hope is not lost. And these guys, these players have something to get up out of bed and play for, especially with Moncada, Crochet, Hendricks, those guys coming back. So I, I I don't know. Wait and see, right? Like, I mean, that's a tough, that's not an easy May for the Twins. No, it's not. And I mean, I, I don't want to use the White Sox schedule as an excuse because we saw what happened when Chuck Garfine even mentioned the fact that they had a tough schedule in April. He got attacked from everyone on Twitter, but, but he should. It was like, true. Yeah, they did have a tough schedule. And that doesn't excuse the fact that they played just bad baseball all it of April. Didn't... It certainly didn't help that you had the injuries to Moncada and Anderson and, you know, you obviously Hendricks was gone, but you started to get banged up. Eloy missed his time. And it was during that slate of games with very, very, very good teams that like were absolutely relentless that you had to play Philadelphia. You had to play Tampa seven times and you had to play Toronto And that being like 13 games of your April schedule while not having a lot of your best players in the lineup was challenging and, you know, had them a little bit overmatched. And I do think, I mean, also just bad luck. This happens sometimes in baseball. You caught the Pittsburgh Pirates when they were playing as good as anybody else. They've now lost seven in a row. So like you got the magic of the Pirates in April that is not going to sustain 162 games. You caught them at a bad time. So, you know, when every other team faces them, they might be facing a fourth place Pirates team, not you. You got a good Pirates team. But that's part of what the schedule is. And, you know, it it took no prisoners on the Sox in April. Yeah, the White Sox graded as the hardest schedule in baseball for the month of April. Uh, On the contrary, their May schedule was graded as the easiest schedule in baseball. So, like you said, I mean, this is a prime opportunity, especially given the the tougher May schedule that the Twins are playing. This is the prime opportunity for the White Sox to, you know, not necessarily come all the way back and catch the Twins, but to start chipping away at that lead, to put themselves in a position to be in the conversation for the AL Central this year. And, you know, it's easy to get ahead of yourself in baseball, but you got to just go series by series. The Sox have the Royals, the Twins have the Padres. Let's see what happens. Let's try and gain a game or two, you know? Yeah. I mean, five of the last seven, as I mentioned, five and two in their last seven. I gave you the AL Central rundown. Currently seven back from Minnesota with Cleveland and Detroit, two and a half and three back, respectively. Uh, The upcoming schedule tomorrow at 6.40 p.m. The Sox are in Kansas City. It's Dylan Cease taking on Zach Greinke. Tuesday, it's going to be Lucas Giolito against Jordan Lyles. Uh, Wednesday, the White Sox have to be determined. That will be Lance Lynn going against 
Brad Keller, and then Mike Clevenger and Brady Singer on a getaway day on Thursday. Uh, Kopech should get the first game of that series with Houston on Friday night, provided uh, the rotation stays to form. Um, A big, big, big Royal series, I would say, because you have to take advantage of teams that are worse than you. Like if you're going to come out of this rut and work your way back up into the mix, you can't afford to uh, not beat the teams that are not the powerhouses. So we'll see. We're in wait and see mode. uh, And and we're, we're just going to try and enjoy White Sox baseball as much as we can. If for no reason other than, this might be the last few months of some of our favorite players. So enjoy as much Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease and uh, Liam Hendricks. When he comes back, enjoy as much of those guys as you can, because who knows what this squad will look like on August 1st. Noah, I think that's really all we've got today. Um, We'll see where we're at. Hopefully it's another slightly more positive podcast next week it's nice to not just be absolutely miserable and actually have some good baseball to talk about but that's all for episode 10 guys the Sox have finally won a series and they've done it back to back need more of them on the way Kansas City and Houston we'll recap that next week on episode 11 and in the meantime hopefully we keep putting some crooked numbers up on that board we'll see you